Welcome to MCS Pentecast, Pentecostal podcast about theology and life in the Spirit, featuring both scholars and practitioners. MCS Pentecasts are produced by Masters College and Seminary in Ontario, Canada. I'm Van Johnson, Dean of Masters Pentecostal Seminary. What is Oneness Pentecostalism? This is Peter Newman. In this two-part interview, Dr. David Reed answers this question by outlining some of the key historical and theological distinctives of this branch of Pentecostalism. He does so in order to promote better understanding of this often misinterpreted movement. Dr. Reed is an expert on Oneness Pentecostalism and has written an important book on this topic entitled, In Jesus' Name, The History and Beliefs of Oneness Pentecostals. In this first part of this interview, he explains some important elements of the history of this movement. This interview was recorded in Springfield, Missouri, March 9, 2014. Well, today I'm here with Dr. David Reed, Professor Emeritus of Wycliffe College, University of Toronto, and actually we're in Springfield, Missouri. We've just finished the 2014 Society for Pentecostal Studies annual meeting, and um, I've been wanting to talk to uh, David for a while now. He was my director of my uh, doctorate program a few years ago, and so I've known him for a number of years and appreciated his work. Uh, but the, the focus today is a book that he wrote, and it was published in 2008, entitled In Jesus' Name, The History and Theology of Oneness Pentecostalism. It was published by uh, Deo Publications in the Pentecostal Monograph series. And so today we're going to focus on um, learning a little bit more about Oneness Pentecostalism and what David's book is about and a little bit about himself and really how this can help ministers, Pentecostal ministers, evangelical ministers, uh, understand this whole mystery of uh, what Oneness Pentecostalism is. So, uh, David, first of all, thank you so much for being willing to uh, ha- have this interview today. And and um, maybe we could start off by telling us... Um, a little bit about your own history, personally, with Oneness Pentecostalism, and then secondly, what's the big picture in this book? Just brief, brief synopsis about yourself and about the book. Well, uh, yes, I was I was brought up Oneness Pentecostal uh, in New Brunswick, and as uh, some Canadian Pentecostals know, that New Brunswick is is full of Oneness Pentecostals because the uh, earliest Pentecostal revival that came through in uh, the around 1920 or so, coming down the St. John River Valley, it was, from the beginning, was oneness. And so uh, that's why the oneness movement is so strong there. And uh, I actually have three of my older brothers were uh, Pentecostal oneness uh, pastors. So my roots are very deep in the movement. Later on, uh, I went to the United States to, to study, and while I was there, I, in the courses that I took, I became persuaded that the doctrine of the Trinity had, in the, the ways I had not understood it, actually was um, uh, answered more questioned and posed fewer problems, as my philosophy professor used to say. Okay. And, uh, and so I, be, I became Episcopalian. I'm in the Anglican Church now. I've been ordained for over 40 years. But my, my, my doctoral thesis, somebody had asked me, Russell Spittler, uh, uh, one of the founding members of the Society for Pentecostal Studies, encouraged me to to, to, to 
to take that as a topic for my doctoral thesis, which I did. So I be, uh, my book is a, a revision and expansion and outgrowth of of that uh, of, of that of that thesis. And I just found myself in a unique place to uh, continue to work on it. And as the years have gone by, I've you know I've realized that there's a kind of an ecumenical passion that I have for the uh, for the uh, unity and the openness and the sharing uh, and fellowship of the wider church. And then I find that this exclusive tradition in the Pentecostal movement is uh, a, a rather painful one. And so I, uh, I see some movements towards rapprochement. And at this point, I'm still uh, hoping to continue uh, contributing in a way that will help build bridges of uh, understanding and fellowship. Okay, so then, so this book really uh, allows us to take a look at who, where did oneness Pentecostalism yeah, come yeah. from, some of its theology, and then you have a particular take on on uh, how, how this can help, um, how, how others can be helped to, with their understanding of yeah. this movement. So what, why don't we start then um, with just briefly, how did, how did oneness Pentecostalism emerge? Uh, let's hear something about the history of it. Well, uh, to take a, just a look at the uh, a snapshot of the book, okay. it, is, uh, it has history and theology in it. And it is, uh, it's, it is not an exhaustive book, but it is a fairly definitive book uh, in the sense that it covers the background uh, to the uh, oneness movement, going back into pre-Pentecostal evangelicalism to begin with, then uh, as a section on the birth and the development of it through uh, through the schism with the Assemblies of God, because that's where it started, and then uh, some of its organizational development under, uh, up until the 1950s. And then the third section is a um, basically a theological or doctrinal overview. It's doctrine of God, doctrine of Christ, and soteriology. Okay. That's, that's the basic structure of the book. Right. So that, in that sense, it's that kind of historical okay. and theological introduction. There's a lot more to be done on it. Okay. So if a person uh, wants to initially do some studies, that is a, that's a great resource to yeah. go to. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. So tell us, again, what, how did this movement emerge? Just in brief, I mean, just yes. a snapshot about where, where did oneness Pentecostalism come from? The early Pentecostal revival for the first 10 years was basically Wesleyan Pentecostal. The first schism in the Pentecostal movement was what was called the finished work of, uh, the finished work of Calvary, uh, initiated by William Durham out of uh, uh, Chicago. And uh, he, he managed to move most of the Pentecostal movement away from its Wesleyan roots. And so the Assemblies of God and many other that follow the same uh, doctrine uh, uh, of uh, sanctification have their roots in that finished work movement. He only lived for two years while he was doing that, from 1910 to 1912, died suddenly at age 39 of uh, tuberculosis. And, but in the wake of that, the, uh, the Assemblies Fellowship and other uh, finished work groups uh, emerged, but there was a small circle uh, within that fellowship at the very beginning that began to think in a, uh, in a slightly, I would say, more radical way about it. Okay. And so one of his close friends, Frank Ewan, an Australian evangelist who came in and uh, a pioneer down in L.A. at the time, in Los Angeles, uh, uh, began to think about uh, all of that. And as a result, uh, you, you had this movement 
taking off. And, uh, and within two years, from 1914, the same month that the Assemblies of God formed in April of 1914, that same month, Frank Ewart uh, set up a tent with Glenn Cook, All right. another evangelist, and, they, uh, and began to got a tank, some water, and started baptizing Jesus' name. By 1916, it, it became so controversial in the in the uh, in the movement that it um, in the Assemblies of God that that by 1916 at the General Council they uh, they uh, they passed a vote to uh, and to actually ex- expel or exclude the uh, the oneness uh, people from. It. Okay, so Frank Ewart begins to set up a tent and preach about the, the necessity of baptizing uh, people in Jesus' name. So that's a snapshot of of uh, where this this came from. But but uh, you suggest um, this this idea didn't just come out of thin air. There's a development from somewhere. So can you tell us something about that? Where, where might he have gotten this idea or been led into it? Where does that come from? The whole first part of my book is really tracing what I call Jesus-centric piety. In other words, this radicalization, and in fact, the whole rejection of the classical doctrine of the Trinity was simply because the, the, the emphasis on the centrality of Jesus Christ, and they believed that to, to kind of parse out the the God in three different what they call persons, and they never quite understood what that meant, but that it, de- that it left Jesus as kind of one-third God, and that was just not acceptable. Okay. But the, it, uh, the way I, I set it up is that, that way before that, going back to the, to the pietistic movement, to Wesley and the evangelical movement, and especially into A.B. Simpson and the Christian Missionary Alliance, you have this emphasis on Jesus. The only... I mean, they will talk about Christ, but the dominant term is Jesus. And there was hymns and poems and choruses uh, to, to Jesus and all of that. And, uh, and so I, uh, I argue that, that the, uh, there's no theology without doxology. Okay. And, uh, and I observed that in my own life, that you can do a dry study of the doctrine, but when you get into worship and you begin to worship Jesus and you give praise to Jesus, you will find that people's hearts are warmed and good Pentecostal blessings happen. Right. And, in it, and so there is, there's a coming together of the doxology of the worship with the, with, with the doctor. Now, there was one man the same year that the Canadian uh, evangelist and granddaddy in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, Ari McAllister, got up uh, and preached uh, outside of L.A. At a, at a convention, worldwide Pentecostal convention, preached at a, in a baptismal service in which he speculated uh, that, 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 he, that maybe the way in which you could harmonize what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what the apostles did in the book of Acts, baptizing the name of Jesus, Lord Jesus, and Jesus Christ, that actually uh, Jesus was speaking parabolically there about himself so that Father, Son, Holy Spirit correlates with Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that doesn't reject the doctrine of the Trinity, but it gives a Christocentric spin on the doctrine of the Trinity. And uh, and it turns out that there was a book by a premillennial evangelical by the name of William Phillips Hall. His first edition came out that very year, titled What is the Name? And he says exactly that, that Jesus was speaking parabolically about himself 
and he lays it all out. And so what Ari McAllister was speculating about actually has its roots. And we know that there is that, that somebody that's near smoke got somebody who was reading that. He got to get get it got it from another evangelist by the name of George Studd, uh, who was uh, working in L.A. at the time. They were friends. Okay. So all right. So so let's. Uh, there's been um, uh, a lot of big words thrown around here. Um, uh, Trinitarian and and, uh, and 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 you know reading Jesus uh, Jesus reading himself parabolically and this type of thing. So so could could we put it something like this way? Here we we have Jesus in Matthew twenty eight saying baptize in the name of the Father Son and Spirit. But as you've mentioned, Book of Acts baptize in the name of Jesus or Jesus Christ. How do we make sense of both of these things? Um, uh, so what we have then just to summarize is a, is a correspondence. Uh, what, what, what you said it was. Father, Son, Father, and Spirit. Father, Father equals Lord. Lord. Son equals Jesus. Son is Jesus. And, and Spirit. Holy Spirit is the Christ, the Anointed One. Christ. Okay. So, so when we, when, when a oneness Pentecostal says, Lord Jesus Christ, that is a different way then of saying Father, Son, and well, Spirit. Well, that's or how, how it, that. That's how it started with Ari McAllister. Okay. And that book uh, okay. by William Phillips Hall. However, by the time you were. Uh, begins to think for that over that next year from, 19, from that baptismal sermon. He was a friend with R.E. McAllister, and they, they worked together in L.A. over that, the, that year. And he said, we had many conversations. But when he finally comes out exactly a year, just a year later, uh, and starts baptizing, it is now only the name of Jesus. Okay. And, and we don't know anything more other than the fact that, for whatever reason, he, it gets down to Jesus. And the way he argues... Uh, two years later, when somebody he said so, he was asked like, "How did this movement start?" And he said, "Well, we start." He said, "I started with the baptismal formula, uh, and realized it had to be in the name of Jesus. But the, it wasn't just an ordinary name, but that was a new covenant name." So he goes back to Zechariah, where where the prophecy was that in the in that day, uh, there will be one God and His name one. Okay. So if Jesus is a singular name under which you are supposed to baptize, then that name, if it is the new covenant name, uh, and uh, right. of of God in in our day and our time, and if that's the case, it needs to reflect the oneness of God. So you've got the Christocentric uh, focus that is being preserved here, but it refl- he cannot tolerate a Trinitarian. Uh, God that seems to detract from the centrality of Jesus. Okay, so th- that's an important point. Then uh, yeah. it is. It, it you mentioned that this is. Uh, you, you mentioned the tie between worship and 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 yeah. doing theology yeah. here. So what you have is groups of Pentecostals and early Pentecostals are very Christocentric, Jesus centric, Jesus piety, yeah. uh, sing songs about Jesus, loving Jesus, and really, in some ways, then oneness Pentecostalism is 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 an emphasis. Not wanting to detract from Jesus as being the center, Jesus as as uh, the one they love, the one they worship, and uh, you 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 hinted at something that I'd just like to hear a little bit more about, which is uh, this isn't something that just dropped out of the sky uh, with with Frank with Frank Ewart or, or or McAllister, but rather you even had other evangelicals sort of hinting in this type of direction already previous to this. Could you say something about that? Well, uh, they're not oneness Pentecostals, no, but, no. but they're hinting at this idea of this, G, this, this Jesus, Jesus pietism. Yes. 
Jesus centrism. But I just I would just go back sure. and repeat that what I what I, I picked up was that uh, number one is uh, Pentecostalism and evangelicalism and through revivalism is an experiential faith. Yes. The pietists were trying to get away from the high confessionalism of Lutheran preaching, you know, the high doctrine. Right. Stuff. You confess to a doctrine, but doesn't matter if you feel That's it right. or experience it. Okay. Yeah. And the pietists brought in two things, or emphasized two things. One was it's an experiential faith, and number two, it's practical faith. Okay. Not just high, it's not just the doctrine, but it plays itself out in your actions. So, uh, but uh, I found that in the late 19th century, it was really the uh, uh, people like A.B. Simpson, they, you all know and, and, and sing choruses about Jesus all the time. Right, right. And that has a long history okay. uh, to that. The other thing, by the way, on the doctrine uh, 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 of Christ that is significant here is that as I was reading in the late 19th century material, I would every now and again come across somebody talking about the supreme deity of Christ. And it was only later I began to look at that and I said, well, what are they talking about when they talk about the supreme deity? The deity of Christ is the deity of Christ. That should be enough. Right, right. But then yeah. they're saying it was the supreme deity of Christ. And then as I looked more carefully, I realized that they were fighting against the, the uh, incursion of, of higher criticism, the unitary movement out of Boston and Massachusetts, you know, that was denying the deity of Christ, all of that. So uh, what they did to nail down the, the, the doctrine of the full deity of Christ was to do a, a Bible study, Bible studies, on the names and titles of God in the Old Testament to show that Jesus actually fulfilled all the qualifications of Yahweh. Okay. Or, or God. Because they're trying to elevate Precisely. the importance of Christ. And okay. so they so therefore they are becoming extremely Christocentric okay. and 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 doing it almost in excess. Now here's the here's where the the platform is built for uh, a, where where one is later on uh, uh, have a little different view of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit than the classical view of the uh, of the three persons in the Trinity. Back in the third and fourth centuries, the debates. Okay, so let me just sorry, let me just pause you here for a moment. So, because uh, just just for the listeners, um, we, so we just summarize a lot of history, and 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 uh, and in your book, all, that would all be detailed and outlined. At, at this point. Um, Really, we're moving into talking about uh, the, the theology. What, what, how is it that one of us Pentecostals talk about the Trinity, or what has been the charges, you know, against them that saying you're not Trinitarian, and, and you're about to bring up an early Christian debate about? We hope you've enjoyed this episode of MCS Pentecast, podcast produced by Masters College and Seminary. MCS Pentecasts are available online at mcs.edu and also through iTunes Podcasts. Master's College and Seminary offers biblical, theological, and practical courses from a Pentecostal perspective at both undergrad and graduate levels. For more information on graduate courses offered through the seminary in Toronto, Canada, visit mpseminary.com. For undergrad courses at Master's College in Peterborough, please visit mcs.edu.